The Isuzu Ute A-League Grand Final is here. All drama, all noise, all action. Watch Melbourne City and Central Coast Mariners go all in to be crowned champions. Experience it live. Search A-League's tickets. Great to have your company for the season finale of the Players Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Cornthwaite, and I can't wait for the next few days and all the build-up to the A-League decider between Melbourne City and the Central Coast. To get your tickets to the game, head to tickettech.com.au, and for more details, visit keepup.com.au. The official Isuzu Ute A-League Podcast, brought to you by Neds, is out now with Daniel Garb, James Dodd, and Nicholas Dubano. Join myself and Daniel Garb post-match this Saturday night for a bite-sized recap episode before Daniel Garb, James Dodd, and Tom Smithies analyze the game in full on Monday morning and give a full wrap of the season. You can also check out A-League Agenda with myself and Garby dropping later today on keepup.com.au as well as the audio version on the Keep Up Audio Network. Joining us today is two legends of Australian football. Both had huge impacts for the Socceroos and successful spells playing overseas. They're now up-and-coming coaches trying to build a career off the pitch and on the touchline. It's my pleasure to welcome Luke Wilkshire and David Zrilich to the Players Podcast. Boys, thanks for very much for your time. Good to be here, mate. Well, we're not going to beat around the bush. It's Central Coast Mariners against Melbourne City to decide who will be crowned the A-League champions on Saturday night. Now, Luke, you've been part of the coverage this year. What are you expecting from these two sides? Yeah, look, I think, uh, you know, rightly, you got one versus two in the, in the final, which is great to see. And look, you expect an exciting game. Um, the Mariners are in some fantastic form. You know, the way they want to play, they're going to press high. It's going to be aggressive. Um, they certainly won't fear Melbourne City, um, which is going to lead, I believe, to a, an entertaining uh, grand final. I'm really looking forward to it. You spent some time at the Mariners uh, early last season or the middle of last year. Um, we'll, we'll touch on your coaching stuff in a, in, in a little while, but just an insight maybe into Nick Montgomery. How much time did you spend with him and are you surprised by what he's been able to do over the last year or two? Oh, look, I've known Monty, you know, for some time now. We're, we're good mates going back and, um, you know, played played maybe six games with him here in Wollongong and, and then obviously went up there and worked a bit closer with him. Um, you know, it doesn't surprise me. He, he was like that as a player. Um, you know, he was a leader. He was one of the – he was a captain and, and knew how to galvanise the, the team and get people around him. Um, you know, it was a bit like myself. wasn't one of the world's most gifted players, um, but was very productive <laughs> for the team and – you know, he, he knows his strengths. Um, he works to his strengths. He's, he's got a great assistant in Sergio Raimondo, who, who was um, between the two of them worked really well together. And, um, you know, the culture that he's built up there at the club, uh, really embracing the community where he's been for such a long time is, is massive. And, you, you know, you can see the, the, the fruits of his labour you know, at this point of time in the last two years. Zrilla, he's done it playing a lot of kids. They're the youngest team in the A-League, one of the youngest teams in A-League history. You're a guy who's done a lot of coaching in, in youth football. Do you think this is the blueprint? Do you think a lot of a, a lot of other teams should be playing a lot more kids in Australia? Um, I think uh, there's obviously different ways that you can approach, um, you know, the way you want to, to go about a philosophy or anything like that. I'm certainly one that... that um, loves the way Monty's gone about it, playing kids. I'm the same. I think, um, you know, there's this old-fashioned sort of view that you need to play with experienced guys to win titles and to to do anything uh, decent. And it's definitely not the case. And if you look around Europe now, it's getting younger and younger. So, uh, the, the, you know, the, the teams are getting faster. The players are getting faster. They're getting um, more experience at a younger age. So it's only going to head that way. I think also for us, uh, when you see what Central Coast have done, 
uh, playing young players. We all get excited by young players in the in the A League, um, seeing a future for them. Eventually, they would if they're good enough to go. Uh, they'll probably go overseas. That's what we want as well. And I think that's the future of the A League generally, uh, producing young young players. Um, us getting excited about them and then following them when they go overseas and, and to, to bigger and better things. So for me, it's fantastic. It's no surprise because when you unlock uh, young talent, um, you know, they're, they're going to surprise you. And I think the very, very positive thing is that we have the young talent here in Australia. And if you give them the chance, um, we are going to produce a lot of uh, good young players who will then eventually go on and, uh, you know, be it'll just strengthen our Socceroos and, and, you know, our name all around the world, which we actually did previously. Well, on the flip side, Melbourne City have absolutely dominated the league, fourth grand final in a row, three consecutive Premier Plates. We see it around the rest of the world where, you know, PSG or, or Bayern Munich dominate a league for a long time. Here in Australia, where it's a salary cap leaves Rilla, do you think it's a good thing to have one team so dominant for so long? Look for us in our league, we want obviously to have the competition and um, and for different different teams to be winning the title. Look, I think this is the last few years. Yes, it has been Melbourne City, but I think before that, you didn't really see teams dominating like this. So I think generally in the salary cap environment, um, it's I don't think it's going to last too long. They are dominant right now, but when you see uh, the league in general. Let's just take Melbourne City out of it for a second. Underneath there, it's very, very um, um, compact and it's very competitive. You you saw right up until the last few rounds of the seasons that that even someone like Melbourne Victory, who who didn't have a good season, they were still able to jump into that top six. Um, you know, Sydney FC uh, came back in the in the in the last part, and then um, you know, so it was up and down. And I think that competitive nature of the A League is what we want. Um, and I think they're getting closer to Melbourne City. Having said that, Melbourne City are really um, found uh, a squad which is very complete. They've found a formula that has been very consistent over the last few years. They've been very dominant. Um, and, um, you know, I, but I do think there's a lot of challenges now coming in the next few years to that. And hopefully the teams like Central Coast, um, Adelaide, who have had a fantastic season, and obviously you've got your big guns in, in the Sydney FC, the, the Western Sydney uh, Wanderers, and then obviously Melbourne Victory. These kind of teams are always going to get better as well. So I think it's it's a good sign for the year to come that we're going to have a much more even league. Luke, how much credit should Rado Vidisic get for keeping the ship on course? Because obviously Paddy Kitsnorbo went to France midway through the year, and it would have been easy for things to derail or for him to come in and, and change things. How hard would it have been to take over mid-season like that? Look, obviously it's not ideal, but um, you know, you've got a steady ship that you're taking control of, right? They've got a lot of experienced heads there in the change room that so he sort of kept it as is. Nothing nothing drastic has changed, so I don't think since he's come in, not that I've seen or noticed. Maybe the players will say different. Um, but nothing noticeable from the outside. Uh, um, you know, the the ship had been been sailing and sailing in that, that same direction pretty smoothly. It was almost on autopilot, right? <laughs> uh, especially with those those experienced players that they have. So, but in saying that, you, there's still a job to do and to be able to to manage those players and keep keep those standards. Because I know Paddy was was massive on those high standards and the winning mentality which he drummed into him. Um, so there's got to be credit for that. You know, they, they, they've been on a good run. Um, I think it's his chance to fir- win his first bit of silverware, right? This this weekend um, in his coaching career. So, look, I'm sure he's going to be excited about that. Um, as are the players, obviously, wanting to win a, a grand final. The game's been built up as a, a David versus Goliath. Do you think that puts any pressure on Melbourne City, or is this something they've seen before? Yeah, no, I think there's there's always going to be pressure. Right, there's expectation, and I think you've seen some of the. 
a few little comments from Monty and and all of these around it too, starting to get in the, those mind games. Um, you know, they are they're expected to win. Um, it's as simple as that, and and no no matter what. But you know, I think they know as well that that anchor is just going to be like that because the Mariners, the form that they're in, the, the games that they've had against the Mariners this year have been competitive. Um, you know, and so I'm pretty sure we're going to we might get an upset. You know, and I think. But like I said, everyone's expected Melbourne City just to run away with it, but I don't think that's going to be the case. Well, the two meetings between the two sides this year, Melbourne City with a win and, and in the second game between the sides, a draw. But as you mentioned there, Luke, uh, plenty of chances in both games. Both goalkeepers were kept rather busy, so we could see an entertaining attacking grand final. It's time to get a bit of a tip. So I'll start with you, Zrilla. What do you reckon the scoreline and, and potential maybe a, a Joe Marsden man of the match? Who do you think will win that? Oh, geez, I hate these tips. But um, look, just going on the form, I think firstly we've we've got a a great grand final because um, both teams have come into the into the final as the top two, but also in top form. Um, so so that's the first thing. The two games between them were very exciting. Um, but I just think the experience of of Melbourne City will will tip them on the day. Just having a look at how they've managed, even times when they haven't been the best. Um, in a game, they still find what they need to win it. So I think 2-1 uh, for Melbourne City. Um, I don't know, maybe Marco Tilio. I think I had him at Sydney Sydney FC all those years back. So <laughs> he um, he's done really well and I hope he has a great game. Well, just before we go to you, Luke, a word on Tilio. Do you th- have you been surprised by what he's been able to do and, uh, and, and what do you think's next for him? No, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, um, going back to your question before, when you when you work with young players and and you see their potential, if they've given if they're given the right environment and the right structure, they're going to thrive. So, um, delighted that he's that he's um, you know come onto the stage like this, and he's got a big future. Obviously, um, you know, with the Socceroos, and then eventually these guys that are good enough, they're going to go overseas, and that's what we want from them. We want them to go overseas. We want them to. To, to test themselves in the biggest leagues and, th- and then they're only going to get better from that. So expecting uh, big things from him. Well, Luke, I've got a feeling you might be tipping the Mariners. Yeah, <laughs> I'll go the other way. Um, you know, I, th- I think we're getting for, getting for an entertaining game, expect goals. You know, I know I know the mentality of those boys up, up there in, in the Central Coast and they're not going to fear them. They're going to go out there and play their way and, and entertain and be on the front foot and be aggressive. So I'm going to go 3-2. I think we're going to get a cracker. I think we're going to get goals. Um because I don't, neither of these two teams are going to sit back right and protect a one nil lead. Let's put it that way. So, um, so yeah, hopefully, you know, we're going to see goals and people will be entertained. You know, at the end of the day, that's that's what it is. You know, we want people to to look at the A League and 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 be entertained. Um, so, so yeah, I'll go with the Mariners. I joked about it this morning on A League agenda with Daniel Garb. Do you think Australian football will survive if Jason Cummings wins the championship? <laughs> uh, I tell you what, do you think Jason Cummings will survive? <laughs> we, we might have another Martin Boyle situation after the Socceroos qualified for the World Cup where he's in the pool four days later still wearing his strip, but that's probably something you boys know plenty about as well. Speaking of Socceroos, they've got a date with world champions Argentina on June the 15th in China, uh, just six months after Argentina knocked them out of a World Cup. It was a history-making uh, showing from the Socceroos in 2022, but Luke, you were part of that golden generation. How do you compare the two the two sides? Can you? Look, I, you know, there's people always look at that bit, you know, you, you, it's hard to compare. Um, you know, there's going to be different generations of players and they're going to achieve different things and the circumstances are different. Um, I think you've got to embrace, you know, you've got to, you've got to embrace what they're doing. I think you've got to acknowledge what the past have done as well. 
but you got to you got to really give these guys who are there currently at the moment their their time and, and you know in the sun and they they did phenomenally well uh, when no one gave them a chance so they deserve credit for that so naturally if you look back and compare player for player where they were playing at the time uh, from clubs and and all the rest of it yeah you can look at it but it depends how you want to look at it that way um, but you know we hope and we talked about the likes of Tilio you know Ori Harisuda. Riley McGrew was close to going back to to the English Premier League, you know, with, with Middlesbrough. If these guys start to get into these bigger leagues, you know, it would be fantastic for Australian football. And and I'm sure we've got another generation of young players coming through. If we can get them in the environment that that's really mentioned there in Australia, more so, more like in Europe, then we can develop these young players because we've got talented players. Players nowadays, I believe, are technically and tactically probably better than what we were back in our day because we didn't have the kind of coaching and, um, you know, support back in the day. You know, Zula, I think you back me up there. I don't remember someone sitting down a video with me until the back end of my career. Zula, no. Well, Zula, no, we, we, where, 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 yeah. where Luke says you guys weren't maybe technically and tactically as good, is it purely the hunger and the desire to succeed and not having everything that, that some of maybe the modern day players have? Is that the difference, the desire? Yeah, it's, this is always an interesting one because um, – I think it's just a different way of developing. We we developed with older guys pushing us when we were younger and it was a hard, hard school and you had to sink or swim. But you learnt also in that environment. And I think our upbringing from our parents was different as well. So we were all just brought up to be harder and from the, from our parents, especially the ethnic side of it in, uh, in Australia. So I think we developed um, a certain toughness uh, and that prepared us to go overseas and the, and the likes after that. Um, here it's different. Now you've got structure. Everything is done for you. The video session, so you're you're learning. You're learning at a different level. But um, I think, you know, when you asked the question to to Luke before about um, the differences in the Socceroos squads, what was interesting in in our generation was every player was playing overseas. And the, when you look at the bench, there were two or three players that that are that are waiting on the bench. They were all playing overseas. Now it's a little bit different. So I think. The achievement back then for all the Australians to go and play overseas when it was very, very difficult, I think that was a massive one. Um, but the challenge for the current Socceroos is not having that experience, not being able to play at the top, top level, um, but still pushing the likes of Argentina and having a great World Cup. I think that was a phenomenal uh, achievement. So, you know, it's diff- difficult to de- uh, to compare, but very, very good from one side to have so many players playing overseas at a high level in our generation. And now without that happening as much, but still being able to do have a great World Cup. So, yeah, I think um, both generations are um, excellent. Uh, you mentioned different upbringings and, and maybe different schools. Uh, obviously, coaches back in those days were probably a lot harsher. Yeah, We saw Graham Arnold, who's a bit more of a man management, uh, manager, someone who maybe puts his arm around a player a little bit more. Driller, were you surprised by maybe not the turnaround, but what he was able to achieve at the World Cup after the qualifying campaign? Um, not probably surprise is not the the word. I was very impressed. I mean, if if anyone who knows Arnie, he he got brought up in that same school even harder than what we were, um, being a generation before. So, to to go into coaching and the first uh, instinct of of coaching when you've been brought up a certain way is to do the same thing, um, and to you know to be hard. And I think at the start of his coaching degree, he probably was like that. So he's had to learn how to adapt to a new generation of player, um, a generation that he's not 
familiar with, and he's had, so he's had to learn and adapt his as we all are. Um, the way we coach and I think that's been very impressive because if he is putting his arm around the players if he is um, you know being that man manager uh, in a very different style to probably the way that he started I think that's very impressive and that's impressive for any coach to be able to adapt and continue to to better yourself in different environments so that was the first thing that that really grabbed me I think it's uh and it's great to see he's constantly uh, evolving. He's constantly trying to bring in new innovations. Um, and that's what every coach has to do because the, you know, the playing field is always changing. You know, the, the what was, what was working uh, two or three years, years ago is, is totally uh, different. Now you just have a look at Brighton and the Zerbi. He's, you know, you think you can't come up with something different and he's coming up with, with something, you know, that no one's really, really seen um, at that level. So, very impressive things, and I think from Arnie, it's um, you know it's great great to see what he's done, and hopefully just keep um, continuing from that. Now, Zerilla, were you in Italy when the World Cup was on? I was, yes. What was that like with no Italy in the World Cup and Australia absolutely flying, taking to the likes of Argentina? Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting because <laughs> um, it's not too often that the Italians are, are not there, and especially watching um, Australia. <laughs> so, so, so that was that was interesting. But um, but look, in Italy, they also have to have um, they also had to look at themselves and, and change change what they've been doing. I think, um, or you know, Italy just expects to be in the World Cup, but in the in the last cycles, they uh, it's been it's been. Um, a different experience for them. So they've had to look at themselves. And often when you do that, Germany had to also do that um, early 2000s to look at themselves, totally rethink um, the way they structure their youth, the way they, 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 you know, generate players through their systems. And that goes back to my point. You have to constantly evolve. So, yeah, it was great to see, um, you know, to be able to watch us in the World Cup. And, you know, I wouldn't say it's it's not great that Italy weren't there, but it was just interesting watching... um, watching uh from their side and you know obviously they're not happy and and maybe slightly even embarrassed to to not be in the world cup but um i'm sure they're going to get stronger and stronger from that experience weave through this coaching conversation is old school versus new school and different ways of of doing things obviously you know wilco you had goose hitting at the world cup and postacoglu is doing unbelievable things with a very unique style what sort of style did you enjoy as a player? Because last week we had a couple of guys on that said they preferred that hard line coach um, who, who who didn't give them much rope. Were you someone like that? And, and what kind of coach do you want to be? Yeah, well, look, I, you know, obviously I went through through that uh, old school as well. And, you know, that's what you saw, you do know and really mentioned it there. It's about evolving and adapting and, and different players. Under, so you, as a coach, you've got to understand your players and different players are going to react differently. So, especially the modern day players, you know, there's still some that you need to go old school on them, I find, that want to be pushed, that want to be driven. Um, and then there's the others, which I think Arnie's getting right at the moment to understand the ones that you need to put your arm around to be able to get the best out of them. Because ultimately, as a coach, you know, you, you need to get the best out of what you've got, the players that you've got. If you get the maximum out of every single player that you've got, you know, you're doing a great job. Um, and that's a challenge because, you know, the personalities are, are massive, you know, and like I said, for me going forward um, as a coach is, you know, I'm more of the hard line. I like, to, I like to push, but at the same time, I like to get to know the person. I want to know the person behind it. And that's what I liked as a, as a player when I had a coach who actually cared about, and this is what I, I, Arnie's also good at, is, is understand, okay, your family, how's your family, how's your wife, how's your dog? You know, these sorts of things are important because they got to, you've got to come to the football pitch happy. That's when you're at your best, when, you know, life is going well and you're happy and you're relaxed. 
and then you can be pushed. Um, so I think that's important, especially with the modern day players. Um, you know, and, and I, I enjoy that side of the game. You know, you've got all the, the technical and tactical side of it, but I enjoy that people, person, man management side of the game, um, which is, yeah, like I said, for me is is really enjoyable getting to know and understand people and to see them grow and develop as well. I joked about it during the season, but it seems as though the Tad Lasso School of Coaching seems to be quite popular at the moment. Luke, you started your coaching career at Wollongong. Is it harder to – well, firstly, what's what's the most difficult thing about starting at that level? And is it harder to distance yourself from the players socially at the MPL? Uh, it depends. I think some some find it harder than others. You got to draw a line, right? So you know, if you're stepping onto the other side, you, you're a coach now. And in MPL, I think it's it's a great learning curve, you know, for any coach to start out because you got to do everything. You don't have you don't have the budget and and, uh, and support. So you got to you know. I remember when I started, I my my father was my team manager. My brother-in-law was just helping to get all the balls so I could keep you know tempo and intensity in training sessions. You know, you you're reaching out to people um, to help you along the way. Um, you you learn what it's like to be a kit man to to open up the gates, to close the gates, to organise preseason games, to organise away trips, to do all of all of those logistics, all everything. So, you know, for me it was was a real eye opener. Um, you know, to understand what goes in behind the scenes, and then even since I left and went to the Mariners and and in you know, the national teams to see other things that, that you could improve along that way. And you talk about evolving and, and growing, you know, same as a player. I feel like as a coach, you start from the bottom um, and you've got to work your way up again. Um, you know, it's like starting all over again. So I've enjoyed that. Azrila, how do you keep sight of the big picture? Because you obviously started a very similar similar level to Luke. Yeah, it's, um, you know, he, he uh, hit the nail on the head there. It's a, it's a different world. It's a, for me, it's a totally different job. I mean, your your playing experience does help you when you get to a certain level, but you have to learn the basics first. And I think that, you know, that was the, the, the thing when I first got into coaching. Um, I coached Sydney United and, um, you know, I just realized that I hadn't, um, you know, thought about, you know, putting training together or all anything that goes, um, you know, around building a team and all this kind of stuff. And I just assumed that me being a player at a certain level will will be a natural for me to step into coach and just coach. But um, once you learn that and you have to learn that very quickly, that it's not that and you, it's a totally different business. And, and once you start learning um, the game, then it's, then it's about where can you get uh, your, the knowledge from to learn at the highest level. You know, my, my coaching path was a bit different. I, I started at Sydney United. I then was very heavily in the media and I learned a lot in the media Um you know, sitting sitting along the sides of, of the likes of of Foz and and you know the late Les Murray and um, so that was my path. But then then I I realised very quickly that if I'm going to if I'm going to be a top level coach, I have to draw on as many um, of the the people around me that have the highest level possible. And that's why I went to Leipzig to to get into that environment. Um, and you know, because if you stay in Australia, I can only learn from who's in Australia, and hopefully you get people around you that can teach you a lot. But if you don't, um, if you don't, or it's just one person, you know, you're not getting, you know, you're not always going to get the information and, and that culture. Um, you know, and that, that, I think I'm very fortunate that I was able to go overseas and learn now in different countries and different environments. And just, just especially at Leipzig, where it's just like a, like a university for, for teaching coaches and a lot of coaches came out of there. So yeah, well, I'll um, just, I'll jump yeah. in because you both have strong links to, to youth football in more recent times. I heard an interview where you said being at Leipzig was like coaching 
coaches university the pressure was on you all the time how you carried yourself what you were doing off the pitch and this is as a coach what was the pressure like to produce players firstly and secondly to play in the style of the first team so um it's it it was it was really amazing because uh the pressure there was probably more pressure than what you would experience um maybe even in the a-league or and and sometimes in in the mls like for for example um because if the results weren't there we were we were getting critiqued at a very high level um firstly on the result but but um the the main uh, point behind it was: Are we playing the philosophy? Are we implementing the philosophy, and then bringing the players up in that in that style to then eventually uh, go into the first team? So um, that was always being critiqued, and and the pressure was there because you know sometimes we'd have a a team talk, and at the in in the halftime, Ralph Rannick would just be sitting in the in the dressing room. Um, you know, and then it's just a totally different different level when he's sitting in the dressing room, just waiting to to hear what you guys are are going to say. You know, after you know, maybe being down one one or two nil at halftime, let's say, it's it's a totally different experience and and pressure. And um, so, but I'm grateful for that because that's what you need if you're gonna if you're gonna take, go to the next level. You need to be able to handle those kind of situations and um, and that kind of environment. Um, but that pressure builds the best. Um, you know, the, the best coach you can be. And obviously then learning from all the other coaches around there, you know, I think the first team had, had three different coaches. Um, Ralph Randick was one of them. Nagelsmann was another one. Um, Hasenhudel was there when I first got there. So these watching these guys and then having to feed into their teams, um, you know, just was an experience that just set me up to then, once I went to Chicago and once I went to then Belgium and then Italy after, I felt like I, I have the tools to... To, to compete at a high level and be able to then um, in, at least impart something on, on wherever I go. Last one for you, Zerilla, on this. Nestor Iran Kunda, I don't know how much you've seen of him. Obviously, rumoured to be going to Bayern Munich. He would be sitting and playing probably right in that level that you coached at, that maybe under 19, under 21 level. Yeah. From what you've seen of him and what you know of the, the youth system in Germany, how hard is he going to find it? Well, it's going to be very difficult, obviously, to go overseas. But this is the—he's got the—he's got the the tools, and he's the the kind of player that that can thrive um, in that environment. And that's why they they would be scouting him if they if he goes there. I mean, that's the perfect um, place to if, even if he doesn't end up playing for Bayern, which is you know um, always a possibility uh, possibility. But I think that he he will. He's got that explosiveness. He's got that. Um, He's got that flair when he when he's on the ball. He you know his one on one ability is outstanding. Um, you know the only thing that I would have to um, uh, not not question, but the thing for him is to get the endurance to be able to play more than just coming off the bench. Um, why why he why um, that's happening? I I know I've heard that um, he's not able to sustain it for longer. But if he is able to do that, um, you know he's going to be a very exciting player. And again, being in in not only Germany but being in Bayern, uh, and I've seen the youth, and I've got friends of mine who work in the youth at Bayern. You know that's just a, a, a one of the one of the best schools you can be in. So I hope he does go there, and I hope he does start playing in the in the first team in the in the new future. Well, we watch that with bated breath. Luke, you're obviously involved in the uh, the youth of Australian football as well. You took a, a job earlier this year to work alongside Trevor Morgan and, and Brad Maloney and went to the Under-20 Asian Cup. Um, firstly, what attracted you to that job and, and who impressed you most of that, that young crop? 
Yeah, look, um, you know, the opportunity to work in the national teams is is something you, for me. You can't let go. You know, I'm I'm, I'm very passionate about um, you know, the national team and and young players in Australian football. So so that opportunity and alongside uh, the coaches and you talk about learning and 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 this is what I want to do and and grow. So um, that was fantastic, great experience. Really enjoyed it. Um, sort of opened my eyes up a little bit to even. Even more so, like I say, getting to know some of those younger players that are coming through, and and the ability of some of them um, was was great to see, and it, it really made me come away from it um, with a real positive, you know, outlook on Australian football and what's coming through. We do have some good young, talented players who are thri- who are thriving, who are desperate to get in better environments to grow, um, who have ambitions to go overseas. Um, so for me, it's it's us, like I said, still trying to create the environments here in Australia, more of them where these kids can really grow. And I think, you know, like we look at what Central Coast are doing and trying to get players overseas as young as possible, as early as possible, um, is the way forward, you know. And, you know, like I said, to see those players, and and I'm sure we're going to see a few of them head overseas sooner rather than later, which is great. You look at Jordan Boss, who's, who's going over and, and going to a club where he's going to play. I think that was the most important thing for these kind of players, not to just go to a big club and to sit stale, but to go somewhere where they're going to play. And someone like him, you know, play two years in the Belgium League, I'm sure then he'll be going to the Premier League or to Serie A or to Spain. Um, so these are good stepping stones. And, and like I said, I think the future is really bright for us. Do you know if you're going to be involved more in the Socceroos setup? Are you going to be part of the the, the, the group that's going to, to China? I'm not going to China, no. I'm flying out to Portugal with Trevor for the under-20s. We've got, a, um, we've got the tournament there, so I'm involved in that one this time around. We've got uh, Portugal, England and Norway. Um, you know, a lot of these boys coming into their first camp in the national team, which is, a, again, a great experience for them um, to be exposed, to see what these top players in Europe are like. Um, and I'm sure well, we're going to learn a lot from the players. The players are going to learn a lot from playing against these teams um, and being in that environment. So, you know, then then you hope that they're going to go back and go, OK, this is where I need to start to, to improve things if I want to be at that level in Europe, you know, the, the likes of England and Portugal. Um, you know, so it's, a, it's, it's really exciting. I'm looking forward to getting back on the pitch because it's been too long for me at the moment. <laughs> Well, I'm going to be. We're all going to be back on the pitch on Friday night, but we'll touch on that at the end of the podcast. Uh, you speak about Europe, but also America is really. You spent some time with Chicago. Just quickly on the MLS, because we try to draw a lot of comparisons here from the A League. Just how far ahead are they, and is there anything we should maybe look at that they're doing over there and try to implement here? Uh, it's probably not the answer you're going to want to hear, but. Um... Uh, MLS is is for me just miles ahead, and um, unfortunately, and and there's there's many reasons for that. But uh, one of them is they've got a they've got big big backers. I mean, the backers of the clubs in the MLS are billionaires. Um, um, they've got the structure right where where the the owners are part of the the league and they have a, a vested interest in the league. That's what we're doing here. Um, but that money that they put behind. Um, the the league um, goes into building stadiums, goes into building uh, state of the art uh, training complexes. Um, they've got money to then bring big players. Um, you know, a lot, they've got the marquee concept, but they've also got other big players that they can pay a lot of money. Um, uh, so the league in general is is of a very high quality. So. Um, I just think their infrastructure, the able, uh, the the fact that they're able to have their own stadiums and then then their own, you know, state of the art training facilities. They've got so much money in behind them, uh, them now. They've got Apple that have come in and they're they're basically broadcasting the games. I mean, that's just incredible that a that a big company like that, um, you know, is throwing so much money at them. Um, 
to broadcast a game. So that money that they have behind us, we just don't have uh, available to us. There was a time where we were quite even um, and, and it was looking like, you know, but they got it right and they, they, they have invested well and, um, and now they just keep adding teams. Um, the franchises are worth, I think they're like 500 million. Uh, the franchise is just incredible. I mean, there's teams in Europe that aren't, aren't worth that kind of money. So it's, uh, it's, but for us, I think that the problem that we have is, um, you know, what, what Luke was saying as well in getting the young, young players. We have to become more of a development league and get excited about the young players and take them overseas and grow from there. But we also have to do better at, um, jumping on the momentum when things, when good things happen like the World Cup now and our performance there, we need to take advantage. It just seems like every time we have the opportunity to jump ahead, we jump backwards and, you know, we can go through through the moments when that's happened. But hopefully we're still here, we're still fighting, and we're still got uh, all the people that are passionate behind the scenes, but we just have to take the opportunities to build momentum and, 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 and steamroll forward um, and not take the steps backwards. Boys, I've already kept you longer than I had planned and I've skipped over half of the coaching (laughs) questions here. So one more coaching question, then we'll move on to the A-League party on Friday night. Drilla spent last year in Italy with Genoa. They got promoted uh, to the Serie A. Um, What was that experience like uh, working in Italy? Uh, Unbelievable. Um, Never thought that I would have the opportunity to work... um, to work in Italy and, and, you know, let alone Serie A. I mean, obviously we came in, we were eight points already behind in the, in the relegation. So uh, we had uh, seven, seven draws in a row, which was pretty much unprecedented. And then we won our first game. So then we went into a, a international break that lasted three, three weeks. After that, we came out of it and, and it wasn't the same. It was more difficult. We lost uh, three games in a row and then, then it was was very difficult. But playing a lo- against the likes of Mourinho at Roma and we beat Juventus, uh, we drew against Roma, we drew against Inter. Um, but coaching at, this, at the San Siro against uh, AC Milan, we lost the game 2-0, but that was just, I mean, I grew up watching uh, AC Milan in that stadium. So, so to be there as a coach and um, absolutely outstanding. Um, even dropping down into into Serie B, a totally different experience, um, different pressure because there we were expected to win. That's why in the end we ended up um, going, even though we were we were third and dropped down to fifth, and then that was it. So very cutthroat. But I I relish those kind of um, opportunities because that's where you learn. I mean, it's it's, it's that pressure that I was talking about earlier. Um, similar pressure, obviously, in Leipzig was different. In in Italy, it was it was just a totally different level if you drew a game and said it'd be already you felt like you know wasn't okay and then you let alone lose a game it was like totally different (laughs) different experience so um in the end what a fantastic uh, club what a fantastic uh, support they have so for Genoa to go up again in the Serie A unbelievable um um, the fans were were brilliant the whole way through so couldn't be happier that uh, they're back in the Serie A well, may not have been there when it happened, but certainly played your part. The biggest coaching gig of your life's coming up on Friday night, Luke. Speaking of pressure and winning and drawing games and losing the gig, you're hosting, or you're coaching, sorry, the NSL Legends against the A-League Men's Legends on, on Friday night. Oh, no. I'll be lining up in that game, mate. Uh, have you given Zrilla a fitness uh, program over the last couple of weeks? Oh, mate, I, I think we might have need to. I think uh, I looked at some of the other boys playing and uh, – it's going to be a tough night in the office, I do believe. <laughs> what, why are you not playing, by the way? 
Oh, mate, I, 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 I injured my knee last year playing in some so, so-called friendly game. So I, I just oh, I, no. I can't cross that white line and, and I can't. Help myself. I get too competitive, and I end up getting injured because I'm not. I'm not fit enough. I don't need an eight at my age. I haven't kicked the ball in about two years, Rilla. So um, you shouldn't have too much worry getting it off me. But part of that uh, NSL lineup, we've got the likes of Jason Kalina, Lucas Coach, David, as we mentioned, Clint Bolton as well, Pablo Cardozo, and then for the A League men, uh, the likes of Adam Griffiths, Brian Sant, Brian Santalab, Brendan Santalab, Ante Kovic, Alex Bros, Cassio, Matt Mackay. So. It'll be plenty of fun. Make sure you get out there. It's on Friday <laughs> evening at the Entertainment Quarter at Moore Park. Zrilla, you I think you said you haven't eaten in preparation. Is that because of nerves? No, it's because I'm <laughs> you'll see, you'll see on Friday why. <laughs> when you get older, mate, you've got to watch everything. But um but I I don't understand. Why do they have it seems like twenty players on their squad and we've basically got a <laughs> I've got a full team. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Exactly it's right. It's going to be um, trouble. Gentlemen, I'm not sure how well prepared you are. Do you have a five-a-side team for me, an ultimate five-a-side team, your dream five-a-side team from players you've played with a, 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 across your career? Oh, geez. I'll put you Who on wants the spot. To first? <laughs> uh, we did. We did. Just for the listeners, we did send you some notes, and we really good to see you've done your homework. No, no, I have. I, I have thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone right. have one, or we or we can just move on? Okay, we got one. Okay, got one. All right. I don't want to offend anyone who I don't select. So okay. I'm going to I'm going to pass, mate. All so right. If I select five, and then some of the others are going to hit me up. So. <laughs> All right, Zula, have you got one? Look, I I've, I would put um, Butcher in goals. We mm-hmm. played together a long time, so I'm just purely preparing for Friday for the the, the game on Friday. <laughs> um, Dwight Dwight York, Benito Carboni was was um, outstanding. I think he'd be great at five side. And Juninho, we had him at Sydney FC as well. So I think that smaller type of player will be brilliant. And um, yeah, I I think I have to put myself in the side right. So Absolutely, I'll probably have to play at the back somewhere. <laughs> That's he was but, he was speaking like a true coach there. He wasn't just picking the best five players. He was picking a team to win the game. So I like that. That's that was clever. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, boys, we're looking forward to catching up with some of those old faces on Friday. It's been great catching up with you both, and uh, I guess I'll see you on Friday night. Thank you. See you there, boys. Yes, fellas. See you then. Well, that wraps things up for the final edition of the Players Podcast this season. It's been an absolute pleasure bringing you the voices of the game each and every week. Now, this wouldn't be possible without my producer, Ben Waterworth, who's the man behind the scenes, organising all our guests, doing all the audio and doing all the emailing and chasing up everyone each and every single week, making my job look easier. He's sitting across from from me now. So thank you very much, mate. Really appreciate your hard work. Thanks very much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast across the year and enjoy the football. Crown Champions. Experience it live. Search A-League's tickets.